0: Hey everybody, welcome to the 65th episode of the J.D.O. Show. I'm your host, J.D.O., and today on the show we have Zilla Rocca, who is a rapper. It's our second rapper in a row. He uh, has a new album coming out as one half of Career Crooks. That album is called Good Luck With That. It comes out Friday. That's this Friday, May 19th, so make sure you check that out. The dude is immensely talented. I had noticed on uh, his uh, Twitter that he was talking a little bit about crime fiction, and I, I heard uh, the song Newlyweds, which is a new... A career crooks song. And I listened to that and he name dropped James Elroy in the very first bar. So I knew I had to talk to the guy and I'm glad I did. He's a twenty year veteran of the rap game. He's got a lot of wise words regarding how to conduct yourself as an artist, you know, kinda of going from a cocky young kid to a more humble veteran. He also talks a bit about how to organize your life when you become a dad, how your priorities change and how you can still manage to do your art. It's more of like a Squeezing it in where you can. And uh, we also just have a lot of good talks about crime fiction and uh, South Philadelphia, where he grew up, which was a pretty crazy place, if his stories are any indication. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I did. Make sure you pick up Good Luck with That, the Career Crooks new album. I bought it, I bought the little audio cassette, so I'm pretty stoked on that. Uh, it comes out this Friday. This Friday, so mark your calendars, check out the band camp, put a little bookmark there, but make sure that you check this shit out, because this dude fucking rules. Enjoy! I hope your day is swell.
1: Okay, I think that's it. I think I have to merged nice. merge the call. So how's it going, cool. man? How you doing?
2: That's awesome, man. I'm feeling good. I just had some lunch in you know, I feel refreshed, feel energized.
1: Right, right. What did so, you, what did you yeah.
2: eat? I had some disgusting Chinese food.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's the best, man. Yeah.
2: It's pretty much all we got around
1: here. I just it's that and varying degrees of good Mexican food. So yeah, man.
2: Yeah, I had Mexican a couple of days back, so I just switched it about. You know, high sodium. I'm on a high sodium diet right now. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Keeping it, keeping it uh, healthy there. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody zigs, I zag. You know, we're all about protein, <laughs> antioxidants. I'm like sodium is undervalued right now. Right, right, right on, dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah.
1: Well, hey, I was uh, I was listening to some of your shit, man, and I, I could have sworn I heard a James Elroy reference. Uh, Definitely. So that's kind of where I wanted to start off, because I feel like that's where you and I probably have the most in common, because uh, I'm a crime fiction writer, and yeah, man. you seem to have a pretty firm grasp of crime fiction,
2: so... Yeah, man. I was literally, so, right before you called me, I was... Uh... Going through my, my my drawers here and found my my copy of uh, James Elroy the Cold Six Thousand. I was like, I still gotta finish this book.
1: Dude, that's a good one. Okay, so I think American Tabloid is probably like one of the best books ever. Yeah, ever. definitely. But uh, Cold Six Thousand, I mean, like even I mean Elroy Elroy kind of like has disowned that book in a, in a weird way, which I think really? is like yeah, no, it kind of sucks. But I think he he was trying to take his the style that he started off doing in American Tabloid. And I think he feels like he took it too far, you know, like that stripped down, the telegraph. I love
2: it, man. I I love it, man. I I, like you just, you just like like the impact of having like four word sentences. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like it's like you're just like getting punched in the face. It's great.
1: Yeah, no, and I guess as like so as a rapper, that's got to translate over to what you do, right? Because you have
2: definitely sixteen
1: thirty two bars to tell a story. So
2: reading someone like Elroy is like that's like a clinic in how to do that. Yeah, it's like it's like, uh, like there's this line that Jizza from Wu Tang always said that like I never forgot. He said, "Make it brief, son. Half short, twice as strong." And so when you read Elroy, like that's like the 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 literary equivalent of that to me, where it's like like I've read you know like real loquacious people and. People where like they you know their books like six hundred pages it really could have been cut down like three hundred, mm-hmm.
0: right, and
2: uh, right. so I liked him. I, I like Elmore Letter for that too because he kept it he kept it really brief with his books like nothing's more than like three hundred pages. Whereas Elroy's like six hundred pages, but each page is like still short. Like I don't feel exhausted. Yeah, no, you know,
1: well, I mean, it through, so, yeah, like the thing is, is like, yeah, if, if
2: Elroy's got a long book, it's because he's just got that much story to tell. You know? Right, it's yeah, there's so many people, and it takes place, right, it's just like, it's a long time frame with a lot of stuff, but individual chapters and, and, and pages, I'm not, you ever read a book where, like, you're like, damn, I've been on this page, I feel like for 15 minutes, like, you oh, don't dude, get no, that. I just, I've learned to just,
1: like, skip that shit, I used to be really, right. like, kind of OCD about making sure I got everything, but now when I right. read, if I, if I, you know how, like, you go into a fugue state for two pages, and then you come back, you're right. like, like now I just, I soldier forward I'm like, well, if, if it was that good I would have been reading it so
0: Right, to, forward to mm-hmm.
1: And I like to also like kind of That allows me to kind of fill in shit Like for myself Makes right. reading more interactive I can be like, oh, okay well, I'll just make up what happened mm-hmm. It's cool But yeah, no, my buddy yeah, uh, Barry really Graham Yeah, my buddy Barry Graham He says uh, big books are bad manners And that's kind of how I feel too
2: that's a good one. I like that every book should <laughs> That's cool.
1: <laughs> I like but, that.
2: Uh, I might use it. But that. yeah,
1: so so you got you got James Ellroy. You got any other uh, crime fiction favorites?
2: Man, um, I'm I'm a big fan of Megan Abbott. She's like more of a contemporary crime mm-hmm. writer. She she her last few books haven't been like typical crime. Like they're, they're set like in family situations and suburb stuff, but. She put out a few books. um, One's called Queen Pin. Another Mm -hmm. one is like my favorite. It's called The Song Is You. And uh, they're like set like in the 40s, like L.A., Mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood, uh, more traditional uh, detective noir stuff, which has always been my favorite. And uh, she's great. And then, um, like I said, I love Elmore Leonard because his stuff is like, his stuff is like, it's not, you don't even feel like you're reading crime. Like you're just feeling people talking to each other. They just happen and be like, one person wants to do something with ill intent, the other person has like a noble cause, but they're not, that's not like the whole character, uh, uh, caricature of them. It's not like I'm the cop and you're the robber. It's like they, these guys could have been friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're not that different. So mm-hmm. I like his stuff a lot. Um, I've always liked, uh, the guys like, like Raymond Chandler and, um, Dashiell Hammond like the more like like I remember when I started getting those guys stuff like seven eight years ago that really changed how I wrote and approached my records and how I approached like imagery and um, the look of stuff so um, I was real like when you read stuff like that from the 30s and 40s where there's like no references to anything like they're not like no one says like oh and then she walked in looking like such and such from Full House like there's like, it's temporary writers now, like, it's a lot of references. Even, like, people that are more disciplined. But when you read stuff back then where they're only talking about very specific visual things, and it's very economical, but if there's no... They're not referencing, like, movies from 1870 or something. You know what I mean? Like, they don't... Right. It's not like a crutch for them. So when I was reading that, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this is... like Like, your brain kind of unlocks because there's no... There's nothing there to be like, ah, don't don't you remember this too? Like, don't you remember, didn't you do this too? Like, there's none exactly. of that because it's before yeah. t- TV. Yeah. So when I when I, lo- I like reading those that era of crime fiction because it's like you're really just about the characters and the story and not, like, checking in on, on the author's pop culture palette, you know what I mean? It used to, it used to even
1: fuck me up, man, when I would read a book and, like, a character would be drinking a Pepsi or a Coke, like, a, specifically that brand. Like, for some reason, I used to be super picky about that shit because I feel like it would date the book, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But it's kind of weird because it's sort of like art works in fractal patterns. Like, everything works in fractal patterns. So it's like everything sort of, like, emanates out from this one original source. So you have books back in the 30s that were kind of, like, the primordial versions of these crime stories, right? But then it, like, Mm -hmm. kind of fractals out, and it becomes a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So you have to reference right. back things that made you mm-hmm. make that thing. Uh, so, yeah, right. so it becomes pretty interesting. But, yeah, no, I like that you uh, you mentioned some good authors there. Megan Abbott, she's doing a show with David Simon now on uh, HBO. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So that ought to be yeah.
1: really good. And then uh, yeah. have you read uh, George Higgins, George V. Higgins? No,
2: I haven't. I haven't okay, heard so you, of them.
1: You mentioned Elmore Leonard and you were talking about how you like that dialogue and Higgins would do like seventy, eighty percent of his books would be dialogue. So he did like uh yeah, yeah The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Did you see yeah? Uh, oh, he wrote
2: that. Wow, yeah. okay. I didn't know that. I always wanted yeah. to read the book. I love the movie. I see Yeah, the movie. movie the movie is fucking great, yeah. Mitchum is a beast. Mm-hmm. But um uh
1: yeah, no, so he did that, he also did uh Killing Them Softly. Is that
2: oh wow? Was, okay. It was that called, uh, like, kinda okay. It's like not the best, but it's like oh it's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But he did, I mean, he did a ton, like, later in his career, he got into, like, political thrillers, which was kind of lame, but at the beginning, he was doing that kind of low-down crime shit, where it was mostly dialogue, He's oh, nice. he was a huge, huge influence on Tarantino and
2: shit like Damn. that, so. Yeah. Damn, I gotta check him. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to think now, like, I, there, there's a dude, because I'm in Philly, there's a dude, David Goodis, he's like a that era too, like the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. and his books are, like, really short, and all his books usually center around, like, lost men that Mm -hmm. get into dangerous situations and but he i like reading his stuff because when he writes about where i live he's he's writing about it from 60 years ago but he's writing about like specific places and streets and Mm -hmm. neighborhoods where i've been but how they were 60 years ago so it's like so it's dope to me to be like man it's like it's like it's like a like a historical guide even though it's fiction but like there's one story he writes where he talks about all the stuff happening it's across the street from my high school and i was like man i can't i'm trying to picture how that would look how he's explaining to me you know where i've been to that corner a million times so i like i like stuff like that too like i like i try to get older stuff and then like the hard case crimes books um like lawrence block Mm -hmm. you know um and I'm listening to so like Richard Stark. I love that dude. Oh hell yeah, um, No, that's good shit. Yeah, yeah, like the older. I just like the older dudes only because like they just don't, they don't mess around. Like they don't have time mm-hmm. to be cute and like make you smirk with references to like VHS movies or something. Like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. that's not yeah. the point. <laughs> well,
1: so like, uh, go so right in, with, yeah. so like with 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 your with your love of crime fiction and you know being a rapper, that, that was this does this come from? Where does the appeal come from with crime fiction? Like, is it, is it, was there some crazy shit going on in, in Philadelphia? Because I heard that yeah, yeah, brotherly love, man, so I I don't.
2: Nah. I I mean, you know what it is? Like, like, so I, I didn't realize how, it's one of the things where like when when you're making records, and I've been, I've been rhyming since, it'll be like 19 or 20 years, like, since 97, 98 is when I started when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and then I've been I've been putting out records on my own since 2006, mm-hmm. and around 2009, I stumbled into I was just making this record. It's called The Slow Twilight, and it's beat by me. Me and my buddy, um, he's a producer in Seattle, and we called the group Five O'Clock Shadow Boxers. And when I made that record, it was like he would send me these beats and he was sampling like weird indie rock like way before anybody was touching it and the record did really well we put it out on our own and after i made it um my friends started pointing out to me being like yo like this really reminds me like a Raymond Chandler book and i was like who the hell is he and they started opening it up to me i'm like oh like i i i love that stuff i wasn't reading it while i was writing this stuff it just happened to naturally fit like that. And then I started like really devoting time and energy into all these authors that you and I are speaking about now back then. And so I've had all these years to think about like why why was that the connection for me like subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up in – so I'm from South Philly. And in South Philly when I was growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, it was this huge mafia crime wave of assassinations, bombs blowing up, people getting killed in restaurants. And it was all happening around me, but we were, like, unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my parents, my grandparents, everybody knew the deal. So we were, you know, protected from it. But, like, all the, the, the children of all these mafia types, I was in school with them. And mm-hmm. I was playing baseball with them and football and basketball. So you would notice that, like, their dads were never around. Like, their mom was raising them, mm-hmm. or, like, their uncle would always be around. And as I yep. grew older, and I started finding out, like, wow, his dad's been in jail for 25 years for murdering a witness. Or shit. this this a bomb went off, like, when I was, like, two or three, and it happened three or four blocks from my grandmother's house. My mom's telling me stories, like, dude, our whole house shook because they put a nail bomb in this guy's mailbox. Holy fuck. Um, So it's stuff like that. And you can read all about it. This dude, um he's a local writer, his name is George Anastasia. He's a longtime newspaper writer in Philly. He's probably older now, but well like not super old, but he was covering all this in the papers. Mm -hmm. And so I've read his books like recounting those times when I was in grade school. And seeing like how close all this stuff was around me every day to where my my best friend from grade school his father-in-law is like one of the biggest capos in the South Philly mile who just got out of jail after being in jail for like 15, 16 years. And I've been to that dude's house and his house is crazy. Like it's like a movie. Like you go in his right. house and it's, it's, it's a half a million dollar house. You know, he did he's an older man without a job. So mm-hmm. it's something that's kind of was always there. And I wasn't, conscious of it but i was just surrounded so much so when i would watch like crime movies and and read stuff like that like i always loved like detective stories and detective Mm -hmm. books like i was a kid like encyclopedia brown like i loved that book and so yeah like like, those are awesome so i always liked the smart dude that was always like pursuing the truth and you know he wouldn't he couldn't be swayed by you know, a woman or money or something like that. So, you know, like I started seeing the movies like Chinatown when I was in college and a lot of, like, film noir stuff. Um, I never was connecting the dots until I made that record, The Slow Twilight. And people were telling me, they were like, yo, it's here. It's all here. Like, you, it's all mapped out. And so I was like, oh, so after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just hone in on that only. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the majority of music I've made since 2009 is crime themed to to some extent? Like some are very blatant. Um, like just I put a, I put out an EP called "Party with Villains" that's really just strictly about South Philly '90s mafia stuff. I mean, to the T. Um, and that's like six seven songs. Whereas the new record we're putting out on on Friday, May nineteenth, "Career Crooks," there's like three or four stories specifically catered to crime stuff, and the rest is just like rhyming and beats and. Regular hip hop, so right. It's once I was able to identify, it, and I I'm like, you know, it's kind of like, like when you really figure out something you really love, and you're like, why why am I going to waste time doing anything else? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like so, I don't like I don't like sci fi. <laughs> like it's not right, right. Like right, I'm right. not gonna, so I'm not gonna read a sci fi book. But Yet. you know, uh, but I know that now. Whereas before, I was like, you know, it's it's okay. I'm kind of disappointed, and I'm like, right. no, I mean, because I don't I don't like I don't connect with science stuff like Like I don't like fantasy. Yeah, I just Man, tried. I tried, it's, I tried but
1: it's, it's like it's like I tried so hard because okay, the thing about sci-fi for me is that like the ideas, the overall ideas of the book, like if you pick up a William Gibson book or something, are fascinating, and a lot of them are yeah. pretty you know relevant to what we have going on right now. But when you read, mm-hmm. like the characters fall flat, dude. It's just like yes. it's like sci-fi writers are they're basically like nerds with Aspergers who like have these <laughs> crazy good ideas, but they they can't connect with people right so right. you end up well, having people talk like robots and shit so but like in crime is extreme but like, uh, the crime novel is like the modern social novel right like you can do yes. a lot about like what's going on in society right now by reading mm-hmm. crime fiction you know what i'm saying so like mm-hmm. so i think that's why i connect with it i connect with the with, like the people i had a question about you know growing up around mm-hmm. all this shit was it hard to like mm-hmm. Reconcile that kind of because okay so basically the way that I would set this question up is like one of the things that fascinates me like in my own writing I'm I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with how you get from a quote unquote normal person to a quote unquote criminal right somebody who's right. like that's why I think like Breaking Bad is such a brilliant TV show right because it, it kind of traces right. that so so perfectly but like there's mm-hmm. this weird cognitive dissonance that comes up you know because I grew up in I grew up in Oklahoma small town in Oklahoma right. So, I heard you guys you know, have
2: beautiful sunsets, though. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. No, and there's big, <laughs> wide-open skies. It's fantastic, man. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but, but, like, I would know people like that, too, but it would always be hard for me to, like, reconcile the the, the two. So was that, like, a surreal experience, or was it just kind of like you just compartmentalized that and put – tuck that away somewhere?
2: You know what it's like? Like, okay, so, all right, here, here's this. This is a good way to explain it. So, I was at the gym, like, two weeks ago. And I'm in a gym in South Philly because that's 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 where I live now with, with my wife and my son. Um, mm-hmm. I've lived all over different parts of Philly, um, but living back where I grew up is kind of cool. Um, but being back, like I know South Philly people inside out. I, I'm not, I'm not very deliberately like a South Philly archetype, but I connect with it. So mm-hmm. I'm at the gym in South Philly, and I'm I have I'm in the sauna, and I got headphones on, and I'm hearing. Just regular neighborhood people kick it, and there's like two dudes in their 20s with this girl. They're in their 20s, and they're talking about passing the test to become a police officer. Mm-hmm. And they're like fretting about the the, the multiple choice test and the physical stuff, and you know right. all the training they've done and whatever, whatever. So they start saying like, "Oh man, probably you know if I don't if I don't get it, it's probably because of minority. Minority probably took the, probably takes my job." And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing for you to say that, because my best friend is African-American, and I've been in rap forever. But I'm just going to sit there and, like, see where this goes. So there's, like, (laughs) an older dude sitting next to me in the same situation. He's just sitting there with his headphones on, and he just pops his ear. He's like, yo, he's like, you'll be all right with, with with, with the whole testing. And they're like, why? He's like, I took the test in the 90s when they were dying for cops. I scored, like, a 92. I did terrible in school my whole life, and I still didn't get the job. And they were like, why? Because a minority took it, like, feeding him the bait. And he's an older generation where I'd be like, oh, here Here it is. Now I'm going to have to check this dude. He's like, nah, it's because I grew up with dudes that became mafia dudes. Mm. And if you're an officer, you, you can't have any affiliation, especially back then when, like I said, the South Philly mob was running rampant. You couldn't have any type of affiliation with anybody in the underworld. So just because you played ball with a dude and you went to grade school with him at high school and you dated his sister and your mother knows him and you lost touch with him and you wanted to go one way and he went the other, like they still wouldn't let you become a cop because you have a history with this person. So like when he said that, I was like, man. So I started thinking about all the guys I knew that, that grew up and became cops and then the guys I knew that became criminals. And then the people I knew that were like the children of the criminals that I grew up with. And – those dudes either followed their fathers who were in jail and then they became new mafia dudes, like the the mafia is coming back a little bit in South Philly, or, um, you know, they just kind of became straight and narrow people. So watching people I've known go either way, it was pretty evident when they were kids, like what path they would go to me, like looking back. So dudes I know that were like, they became like junkies and drug dealers and addicts And. and robbing people and stuff. They were kind of, you know, you could see that in eighth grade. Like, this dude's not going anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Be, you know,
2: being be in school, like, high on nitrous and, like, passing out and stuff. Versus the dudes I know that became cops, they were like alpha dudes. And they love mm-hmm. fights and they love sticking up for people. And they were super cocky and arrogant and confident and work really hard, like, love working, love having jobs, love their families. Like, it was obvious to me when those guys became cops. Mm-hmm. So, watching. And but all of us knew each other. You see, what I'm saying like we're, we we all play basketball or football or whatever. Yeah. So it's like you. Can, but you see it early on, like oh damn, he became a junkie. I'm not shocked. Oh damn, that dude is slinging dope and got shot through his door in his apartment. Whatever. Oh damn, he's a cop. He saves. Oh yeah. So what? What? But again, it's not like we don't even talk about it. It's just kind of. It, it's just like I said before. Like I, when, I, when I was making these records, I, it didn't even occur to me. I was. It was the influence. It was just it's just always been in the air. So that's kind of like the best way I could think about it, you know, to answer what you were asking me. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned—you mentioned way back at the beginning. That, that's a great answer, by the way. But at the very beginning, Thanks, you mentioned that you're a that you're a dad. So okay. mm-hmm. here's—I have a bunch of buddies who are becoming dads uh, mm-hmm. as of late. So this is just something that kind of fascinates me because I'm thinking about it. Right sure. Yeah, you know, I've had I've had friends go both ways, man. I've had a, a buddy who had a kid about seven years ago that he kind of okay. dropped off the map, and then he came back. He's got a new book out that's doing great, and you know whatever. Nice. And then, I've, and then I have other buddies who like you know they have they have a kid and they just keep trucking along. So how how has uh how has being like a dad changed how you approach your life in general? Like I mean I I, I know it's huge, but I'm just looking for right. like specifics here.
2: Sure. Artists, artists I think artists, I think based I think. on yeah. All right. So for all right. So put it this way. Before I had a kid. Before I was married. Before I was engaged. I would literally from from 2005 to 2012. Every day, I came home, and I would work a job, and I would get home from work, and then I would I was rapping and producing, and performing and freestyling and going to shows like every day for Mm -hmm. those seven years it's all i did i I didn't like go on vacations i would date people but like that wasn't like my main focus um to me it was all about like i gotta make it like this is what i want to do and i want to be i want to make music my full-time job you know this this is like right before the industry just completely collapsed so like there was still a glimmer of hope like you could do it Mm -hmm. um so doing that all that time like making beats every day putting out a ton of stuff, recording a million people, remixing songs, going to radio shows, staying outside venues, rapping for people, like all of that, like going to New York, doing all these things to be seen. I'm playing shows in LA and touring and all this, like you lose a ton of money, right? Unless, you know, you get signed and you strike a race. So you lose a lot of money, but it doesn't even matter because you're like, this is my purpose. So, when when i met my wife when we when we started dating her and i were friends for a long time when we started dating in like 2012 i was like well this is i like spending time with her compared to doing everything else mm-hmm. so that was like the beginning of me being like okay i don't i'm not going to be rapping every single day and producing every single day so then fast forward a couple more years to when we, we had our son we got married and had our son so my, my son he was born in October 2015. So since then, like, when you first have the kid, like, you're, it's really hard because you're recalibrating, like, your relationship with your spouse, her relationship with her body, which is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, Your sleeping schedule, family, money, like, it's a lot to handle. So the first six months is, like, really rough in that regard because it's just a totally, like, everything in your life is either press pause or throw out the window. So mm-hmm. once you once you start being able to, like, develop a system that works for you and her and the child, like, that's really all it is. Like, just develop a systems that work. Where, like, you can spend time with each other. You can figure out sleeping. You can figure out, you know, food and childcare. Like, once you start building these things in place and you stick to it, it becomes pretty easy to go back to, you know, your endeavors, like, your creative stuff. So for me, it's like... I was always writing, like, for me, like, I I only rap when I have something to say. So if I got nothing to talk about, I'm not, like, just still writing songs or producing, anything like that. I just do it when I really feel like it now. Mm -hmm. And your biggest thing also is, like, time. Like, your time is so limited. So I don't have five hours a night every single day to just do whatever I want, like, sit in front of a computer and listen listen to jazz records or... Freestyle with nine dudes. Like I don't have any of that time, so I have to be like very, very precise and focused when I do have the, that time to either rehearse for a show or record something new or remix somebody. So you have you become like so locked in with like yo. If I have twenty minutes to record a whole song, I'm gonna get it done in twenty minutes. That's happening. Yeah. Where in the past it'd be like oh, maybe three hours. Maybe I'll stop, watch basketball, you know, go to the liquor store hit up this chick, do whatever, come back, do the hook, you know, whatever. So, you just become like so focused because everything's limited because now there's a whole another person that needs time, you know, on top of, you know, your significant other. So, by by being a father, like it took me a while like to get situated in all those in all those parts of my life, but in the meantime I was still writing for websites and like I still write every week or so about something I enjoy for, like, Red Bull Music Academy or um, this website called The Dowsers. Like, I just did a huge thing on the oral history of New Jack Swing music um, for Red Bull. That was, like, a huge – that took us, like, five months to write me and my buddy Chris, where we interviewed all these legendary rappers and producers and singers from the late 80s, early 90s. But then I'll I'll write – I have a thing coming out about Run the Jewels, like, their collective solo careers going back 15, 20 years, just because I love those dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I also realize like the writing side, like when I'm not rapping, I still like to write and I right. still like to write about rap. So I'm not writing short stories or anything like that, but, um, that's when I'm like, well, if I'm not making a record and I'm not making a rap, I have a record dropping Friday and then I have another album in the bag just sitting there done. So I'm like, well, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And like, it's, if it's fun to me to write about, you know, Wu Tang Forever being 20 years old coming up, or Biggie's album Life After Death being 20 years old, I wrote about that a couple weeks back. Then that's fun. Like I'm going to do that still, just like as the hobby part. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. I just enjoy it. Right. So that's how it, do you well, make time for that?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's interesting because you mentioned earlier that you said something about like the industry collapsing and things like that. So I was right. wondering, you know, when something like that happens, how do you recalibrate? What your goals are? Good question. That's a, question. You know, cause, cause That's then, a really you, good question. You had this bro. idea. You had this idea. Well, I mean, the yeah. reason why I ask is because, like, as a writer, it's kind of the same thing. You know, when I started out, mm-hmm. it was, you know, get an agent, get a book deal with one of the big five, you know, et cetera, et, right. et cetera. But then, like, my path has been so different. You know, I went yes. indie, and then I caught I caught steam in in France, which was unexpected. You oh, know nice. what I mean? And so, so it, it shifts. Well, it's sh- basically like, yeah, now I'm writing. I'm writing books for France now. I'm like, well, nobody cares here okay. so. <laughs> but uh right. but No, but like so what I'm saying is like the, the goal shift. So how did how did the your your goal when it comes to rapping or writing writing about rap, mm-hmm. et cetera, how how did that how did that shift when everything when the shit hit the fan, basically?
2: You know what it was well I, I used to be fascinated with like people's stories of how they buy books about that shit. I used to read um love interviews. Like that's why I love podcasts so much. And I used to have a blog and I used to interview artists. Like I was just fascinated. And, and I interview artists here and there still now for other websites, um, just to talk to them like from an artistic point of view, like how you're asking me this. And I think like, so it took me a long time to realize that like none of these people's formulas could ever work ever again. Like it worked for them in that moment, in time, in culture with whatever, and I was spending too much time being like, Well I need to do what Alcast did and then what Kanye did and then what Jay Z did and then what Nas did and then what, what the Roots did. Like I needed Yeah. They did it. So that's obviously a successful formula. And it's not. So it took me a long time to realize that. And my I was always coming from like an indie point of view because I worshipped like Def Jokes records with L P and M and Records and Con, and um that I was always like more caught like on an indie ideology, mm-hmm. not so much like a major label setting. So I've had brushes with major labels where we've had dealings and potential deals and stuff. And I've been filming like funny Instagram videos talking about that called Failed Raft Tales, where I just tell like a minute story of like a failed deal I've had in the past. Like they're funny. They're, between B- Puff Daddy and all these other label I tried to exploit oh, really? when we were kids. Oh yeah, they're great. They're on my Instagram. You could, you could check them out. They're really oh, they're yeah, all they like a minute long. Uh, Like I talk about all that, like Puffy trying to sign me and my friend and then this label that used to sign, that signed Shaq back in the day, they were trying to sign us. They're they're great. So once you go through all these, like for me, I I went through like six or seven botched record deals and then, um, you know, you start thinking about, like you said, when the industry collapsed, like when album sales are gone and CDs are gone and now, like, MP3s are gone, and it's streaming, and it's content, content, content. Like, I, the, the way it's explained to me by people that I really respect and worship, like, it's you to be an indie artist, at least in, in, in music, you have to kind of keep a day job and then build up your off time and then go tour on that off time because it's not – there's really no safe economic model to not be bankrupt and – make money off of music like that. Now, mm-hmm. if you're like Run the Jewels, you know, where they're playing in front of 3,000 people every night, and they're on festivals, and their li- songs are licensed, like, them dudes been around since the late 90s. Like, yeah. it was hard for them. You know, like, they. they I remember seeing LT in Philly play for 150 people, like, four or five years ago. Like, yeah. right before Run the Jewels even happened. So, yeah. he was making the rounds, like, just to get a check. And I love dude. So, now when I see him play in front of two thousand people in Philly when, when they started the Run the Jewels three concert uh, their tour here a few months back, it's like man, like these dudes are still going. But it's mm-hmm. it's it's like you know it's like it's a lot of work for a small check. Whereas like the way the industry you know print music in the eighties nineties like you would you were a failure with like a seven hundred thousand dollar advance for an album. Or you yeah. were a failure in print, like, getting $2 a word or something. Like, you were, like, low level. Right. You know what I mean? But no one knew how good it was. <laughs> like, right. And all the people right. from back then, that that's all they knew. When everything changed, it was hard for them to accept that or, like, to navigate. Whereas, like, I came in maybe, if I came in to to indie hip-hop, like, 99, I would have been chilling. But I came in in, like, 06. Like, it's done. It's over right. at that point. Right. Like, all the labels I love gone. All the artists right. I liked, gone. So, now, like, they had to recalibrate. So, it's like, like you said, you, you figured out, like, your audience was in France, right? So, my my audience for music is, like, like, I've seen my fan base change over the years. Like, people that were buying my stuff or, like, tweeting at me or emailing me, like, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Because music listeners, like, think about the artists you were really listening to a lot in, like, yep. 2010. Are you really, like, still up on them right now? Maybe a couple, but you, your tastes change. Yeah, so, no, for sure. you know, so people, your fans come and go. So, at this point now, I'm just like, yo, I really do it because I, I, I just had to admit, like, yo, I'm never going to make a living off this, like, in a way that I want from, like, my, my personal lifestyle. And, uh, but I still want to contribute in a way. And there's still people that want to hear me, and there's still people that are discovering me now. Like, I'm a new guy to them. And that's cool. Right. So you know, and I feel like I still have something to say, but if I don't or it's like, you know, becoming redundant or kind of corny, then I'll happily just step off and just, you know, write about stuff for websites. But for now it's like like you said, you just pivot and be like, Okay, if this is the most successful thing for me and this is where the audience like there's you'll always have an audience. You know, it might be five people yeah. but they're there. And but it might be a hundred thousand. For one thing you did, you might have a 100,000 people on board. And then the next thing you did, maybe 200. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, no, there's I'll no way to long. really
1: tell. And yeah, and <laughs> right. the thing is that, I, I mean, I told a story on, on the story on the last podcast, but basically the long and short of it was I, w- I went to go see this, uh, this metal band that I was a huge fan of, and it was for a, a super tiny audience, and the singer ended up throwing a, a temper tantrum, basically, because his mic broke and the audience was small. But then, you know, it's like, right. The people who I've seen who really continue to kill it, I mean, I saw Aesop Rock and Bus Driver like five years ago, and it was at a tiny, mm-hmm. tiny bar in Oklahoma, and there was like, mm-hmm. it was like you said, there was like less than 100 people there. And this is, uh, wow. you know, this is like, this is Aesop Rock, this is a legend, right?
2: Yeah. This
1: is, this is, this is a legend of rap music, and, but he mm-hmm. was
2: just, he didn't, he just did his thing, you know what I mean? And I'll so tell you what, like, I saw him on that same tour, you know how many people they played for, for Philly? Same mm-hmm. tour? Mm-hmm. 800 mm-hmm. people, easy. There was easily 800 people a dash Like, the venue they played is a great venue here. It's huge. And mm-hmm. they played there. I've seen Run the Jewels there. Like, like that was, like, the beginning of Run the Jewels 1. They played at an 800-person venue. You know what I mean? Aesop yeah. and Bus Driver on that same tour, where they played for 100 in your town, they played for 800 in my town.
1: And like right. you said, so just,
2: just kept yep. it going. Yep,
1: yep. No, and I, I, I just – I don't know, man. I really respect that because it's like I've seen people – Writers mostly because, you know, I'm more like in the writing. I, I've just seen so many people melt down, you know, because they're just like nobody, yeah. nobody cares. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, no, nobody does care, dude. I mean, especially with us. Like yeah. we're writing, we're writing books. Like,
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to, you know, I'll I've tell just you this right now, ready? Right? Yeah, you're right. And this is when, okay, so I had a moment like that, like a very clear moment. It was, I was on tour four years ago and I was with my, with my, my, my friend Prem Rock. He, we were on tour together. He's on my record. Mm-hmm. He got me the deal. Um, with this label, HerbNet, that's dropping my record on Friday. Um, we were on tour together, and we were playing, like, west coast to southwest. Like, we started, like, in San Francisco, and we drove all the way out to New Mexico and played, like, a bunch of shows in between, all over. We did a show in Las Cruces, New Mexico, on a Sunday night for two people.
1: Wow.
2: Right? So when you're standing there, and I'm, like, the opener – on tour, right? Yeah. When you're standing there in New Mexico, it's like eight o'clock on a Sunday and there's two people looking at you who've never heard of you, who don't care, that's when you're like, Why why do I do this? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so right when when we're waiting for people to fill up and the sound man's like, yo, you guys gotta go, you gotta you gotta go, you gotta go my buddy Prem told me 'cause he he's done a bunch of shows overseas and he's just amazing. He's played everywhere. Um he's like, you know what? He said, I realize this is not the best situation. He said, however, think about you're in New Mexico right now with me in front of these people because you love rap. You're here. Right. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. And I was like, you're right because why the hell else would I be here? Like that doesn't make any sense. But being in New Mexico just in general, like traveling, meeting people, like – and one of the two people on the show was this girl, and she's like my fan to this day. You see what I'm nice. saying? Like hell yeah, dude. And that was four years ago. So well,
1: it's it's yeah, funny because like uh, Las Cruces, like the place I saw the band have a meltdown was in El Paso. So there must be people okay. get really uh, existential in that area. Maybe country, I guess. Yeah, but you know what? But here's the
2: thing. But <laughs> Here, here's the trade-off. The next show we played was in Vegas, right? We, we drove back yeah. to Vegas. We little one from Vegas. That next show we did, there was like 150 people there, and it was crazy. And they yeah. were spending money, and girls were rubbing up on me and on my beard, and like. It was outdoors. It was amazing. We had so much. People were like mad they couldn't buy more merch off us. And I started. I just started giving away shit. Like it was crazy. So when, like you said, like when, when that pendulum swings and you think like, damn. I, for me, I, I don't know any other way in my life like to get through things beyond just like grinding it out. Because mm-hmm. you never know what the hell is going to hit, what people are going to connect with who's right. there, what their impressions are of you. Like I said, the, uh, the two people, 50% of that crowd is my fan in yeah. Los Cruces. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's a pretty true. good fucking ratio. That's a good ratio, dude. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean? That's a good success rate.
1: Yeah, and it almost seems to me like I have this thing where I talk about how, like, I feel like the universe just wants to see me cry sometimes. You know what I mean? Okay. Because, and mm-hmm. so here, here, here's what I mean. It's like, it seems like, Whatever powers that be will like push and push and push, mm-hmm. and it just wants mm-hmm. to see you lose your shit. And that, cause it's yes. happened to me so many times. Well, I've learned now, thankfully, to lose my shit in private. I turn all my social media yes. off, I turn my phone off, and you know what? I have a little like, god damn it, like what the, f-? you know, like I just, right. I kind of talk to myself, right? But you know as soon what, as though? it's done, as soon good. it's done, Yeah, as soon as it's, it's done, over. everything opens up, man. Everything opens back up. Yeah. And the others are just like, yeah, I just wanted to see you lose your shit. That That's funny to me because I'm really bored.
2: That's you know? it. No, that's it. <laughs> like, trust me. Yo, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. Three days before my son was born, I got laid off. Mm. Okay? Three days. Mm. And so my biggest fear my whole life was, oh, my God, what if I have a family and I can't support them financially? That was my biggest fear always. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, here it is here it is. So I'm home now with a baby. I'm on unemployment. I'm hustling for money, like lifting furniture, delivering pizza, writing articles, trying to sell more musical, anything, apply for a thousand jobs, go on interviews and all this stuff. And then after that was over and I I got another job again and I do what I really like and um, I could still be putting out records and I could still be doing things I really enjoy, like that was a hard four months in retrospect, but what came after it was like, I like, like every time Louis CK seeing like we talked about boxing and he's like, every time he would box, he would be like, yo, he's like, I, I, I didn't get killed. Like I didn't right. die from getting right. hit. So he was always afraid of getting hit. So that's why he decided to start boxing to be like, mm-hmm. yo, I got to see what happens. Like I got to face this. And so like I, I did boxing. I, I used to box for years. It's the same thing. Like, Yo, I can get I can get punched in the face, and I'll just get like it's gonna hurt, but I'll just get up yeah. like. And so if you can do that, if you're willing to do that, something's gonna come out on the other side that you didn't anticipate. So like me getting a record deal at 34 years old, when I've had so many botched deals since I was 19, and again, you could see my Instagram failed rat tails. I did like 10 of them. I'm about to do one today. You could they're funny like it's, yeah. but at the time it wasn't funny. At the time, it was like, Yo, I'm trying to quit my job and like get this deal, and go go all over the world and like do all this stuff and like. So when I let go all that, a label in Canada named Herbnet—they've been around for like 19 years—we're the first complete U.S. act they've ever signed, and they're putting us out. So it's like that just happened, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't anymore like, Oh my god, if this doesn't happen, dude, yo. I'm gonna jump off a cliff, like no. But when I was 19, 20, definitely, like that was the oh, feeling. For sure. Whereas now for sure. it's like you you get through all that stuff, you just realize like yo, I'll be all right, I'll be okay. Like if, if you if you just want to work hard and you're and you're cool, and you're not an a hole to people, like things will even out. Like for real. It's, oh like, man,
1: that's it's huge. cheesy,
2: but that is huge. Like not true. being a not being
1: a jackass is so big. It's major. Right. It's major. Which is why like it's so important. I think artists of any kind, if you get mad or if you get drunk just turn all of your shit off, put it like, like have your significant other change your password so you
2: can't get on mm-hmm. it.
1: Cause that's, that's
2: no, you can't do that, man.
1: It's literally the only way you can sabotage yourself is just by being a dick on the internet now. Like, And you can do yes. it. I've seen it happen. Because there's, so there's a record of that.
2: There's a record of that. And so, yeah. you need to call somebody on the phone and vent or write it down and on a piece of paper and throw it away. I don't know. But, I've always, like, I'm glad you brought that up because I've always been very, very conscientious of that stuff being out there for me. And there's people where I live, there's a whole set of people in the rap city, in the rap community that hate my guts mm-hmm. um, from things I was saying and doing when I was like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even remotely close to that person anymore, but that's what they remember about me
0: because they didn't yeah. like
2: me. And and I kept thriving without them. So they don't like that still and that's fine. Um, but I, I understand why they don't like me. Still like seven, eight years later when I'm completely exactly. different. And I don't blame them. You know what I mean? But like, like Dame Dash always said, like rap attracts insecure men. Especially mm-hmm. like in your 20s when you're super competitive and you're super petty and you're thirsty and you want everything and you don't want somebody taking your spot. Like you start keeping stats and keeping score with everybody and then, you're if someone you know is more successful than you, like you're not really happy for them, but you have to pretend you are, and it kills you inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like, right? You know, as you get older, you're like that. Whereas now you're just matter. like, oh man, like, that's sick. Uh, like now, when, yeah, everybody, man, like, yo, when everybody's making, I'm like that is fucking killer, man. Period. Like my my homie, Open Mike Eagle, he just got a show on Comedy Central. Oh no way! Right? That's awesome, dude. Yeah, he just got a show on Comedy Central. I played with open Mike eagle in a bar in phoenix in 2010 i never met this dude in my life Mm -hmm. i played with him we met through mutual friends we had a lot of mutual friends i started checking out his record anytime he would come out to Philly, we would play together he's been in a video with me the song called full spectrum too he's in the video Mm -hmm. we've done records with him and then as he started picking up steam and blowing up out west with like linking up with hannibal burris and paul f Tompkins and all these dudes like i don't talk to mike like that anymore Mm -hmm. But you know what? That dude has worked so hard, like, driving his own car to a show to make 50 bucks in Mm -hmm. wherever. Like, I know all that. So when he gets his show, and he's my age, and he has a wife and and child, like, I'm like, man, dude, look at you. Like, as an indie artist, like, you did that. Whereas if I was 24, I'd be like, yo, fuck that, dude. Fuck that dude. Yeah, you don't call me. Exactly. Exactly. Yo, man, yo, yo, I I better be on this show or otherwise it's you know, fuck that guy. You know, right. I always knew he was fake. Like I would think like that if I was twenty four right. because I'm I'd be insecure. Because right. rap attracts insecure dudes. Like look at Wale. <sighs> that's the most that's the most insecure yeah. dude who attracts weird, insecure Twitter followers that are like like you attract your audience. Like the right. person you are determines the people that are gonna follow you. So yeah. if he's like a petty, superficial dude who's like wild emotional and insecure, that's how his five million fans are.
1: I will at because they I start jumping
2: down people's necks.
1: I did love the mixtape about nothing way back in the day.
2: Yeah, and, I used to like that. I liked it.
1: Yeah, I used to yeah. like that. And then everything after that, I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope, nope <laughs> sorry. It was so drastic, dude. It was so, like, because I remember being excited, and then I, I can't remember what the next thing that came out was. And I, was, you know, I think like it was Back to
2: the Feature. It was another mixtape, Back to the Feature. with uh, right, right, right,
1: That joint that's was right, whatever.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's right. And it's so weird. He, made, like, he made the mixtape about nothing part two, I think it was. So, Not the album. Uh, but He made, like, the mixtape about nothing two. I, I right. literally dropped off. After, okay. Yeah. Well, check this. I remember. I, here's all I remember about that. Because I love, like, I love the mixtape about nothing. Like, I, I thought that was incredible. Mm-hmm. I I was listening to the mixtape about nothing too, on a CDR, like burning it, you know, and driving my car. And I remember I was driving. It's this area in Philly called Kelly Drive. It's a huge river, and people there's just like rowing out there. It's very. And I any mean, movie was with Philly you've ever seen, they they have shot the uh, Kelly Drive and Boathouse Row. Okay. I'm driving along Kelly Drive. I'm listening to. Uh, the mixtape about nothing too, and as I'm driving I eject the C D and throw it out the window. Like while I'm driving. <laughs> That's the last time I ever listened to Wadley. Nice,
1: nice. That's so funny. Yeah, no, and then like you said about the pettiness, man, I did the same like when I my first book was published when I was twenty three and uh nice. and and it had won it won this thing called the Wonderland Award for best novel. Nice
2: which is probably not well, no,
1: it's, no, it's the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. Right? Because uh,
2: I, I know, I know where this is going. Because my yeah. ego,
1: my ego oh. insane. 'Cause insane. Because I already thought that I was the best. I thought I was the best. I made right? it. And then, yeah, you made and it. Then I, and then I got people, you know, I had I had that, like, killer cover from, like, Alex Pardee. That's a huge Alex Pardee oh, nice. fan. Oh, nice. Oh, he's and I got oh, him, yeah. yeah, I got him to do my cover art and shit. And, uh, like, I was just, so, like, I was on top of, like, the world. And then I really had to... It took about 5 years for me to like bounce back from that and go back. Like I I had to relearn how to be humble, which sounds like kind right. of an oxymoron, but you you I really right. did. And I I mm-hmm. alienated so many fucking people, dude, because I would just be mm-hmm. like if they would say something to to like irritate me, I would just be really blunt. I'd be like, "Well, your writing is trash and I'm the fucking wow. rap, So I don't I don't even know why we're, you know, having this conversation. Wow. Oh, dude, dude, asshole shit. Like like totally asshole shit. But I I don't know, man. I had to learn. I had to, well, then, I mean, this is kind of a long sort of life story, but then I started a, mm-hmm. a publishing company. And I actually did, oh. like, I, I started because I, I was such a Deaf Jux fan, and I wanted to do, like, oh. a, a book version of Deaf Jux, but it's still around. It still exists, but it was such an incredibly difficult thing. And, it, like, the world humbled me, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it taught me, It like, cause I was like, oh, I could do whatever the fuck I want. And the world was like, right. that's that's adorable that you think that, but we're we're gonna we're gonna set you straight. So,
2: no, nah, there, there's 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 a line from um from uh, American Tabloid, um, and I, I I read it and I was like, oh my god, I'm using this. So on my next record that's gonna come out maybe like end of the year, the album's called Future Former Rapper. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the album. Just on some like at some at some point i will not do this anymore that's that's just the idea behind it um and there's a line from James Moore that i made a hook on the song on the album and it's just it's just saying when you're down you are capable of anything and i was like yo that is yep. the tr- that's the livest thing ever which no one wants to really understand because yo know, like you said when you have it and you're young and you think you're on top of the world and it gets yanked out from under you, it's like, Okay, now what? Like now what are you gonna do? Like what Yeah, but now you can literally do anything. You can completely reimagine yourself. You could do something you've never done before. You're like, yo, I've already like I've already experienced quote unquote the worst part of this, right? Like mm-hmm. I I've, the floor's been ripped out from under me. And I'm still here, like I survived. So now I could just do anything. And it's very liberating. Like, it's a really cool thing. Like, I don't know if you, uh, like, you know, the with the Oscars this past year um, with uh, Marshal Ali from uh, the movie Moonlight, mm-hmm. when he won, the, he won the Best Supporting Actor, right? So I remember yeah. seeing that dude, like, in other movies here and there. Like, I wasn't, you know, like, really, I had no opinion of him either way. But I remember after that movie came out, I didn't see it yet, but he started getting a lot of interviews. And he started talking about how much he loved rap. But not like in a way where it's like, I love rat, which means like I love Kanye and like J. Cole or something. Like sure. he was like, I love Ka and Rock Marciano and West Side Gun and Conway. Like dudes right now that are of a certain age that are new doing a certain style of like East Coast rap which I love also. And when he said that, I was like, yo, you have to be a serious hip hop head to be on any level in the media being profiled and name drop those dudes you're not talking about oh, i love drake drake you know i love rap i love drake i love rihanna <laughs> um he named like very specific underground dudes so after he won the oscar like on twitter the next day they were like yo everybody has humble beginnings and they showed a video of him rapping in like 2005 he was some artist signed the hieroglyphics and i was like what and he's wearing like the super baggy jeans with the giant white t-shirt and he's rhyming like he's a he's a real rapper, and I was like, "Whoa!" And so that was so the point of the tweet was like it said like like your first move isn't always going to be that one that hits. Oh wow! To just yeah, keep yeah, going, yeah. Right. right? Like right, that right. that was to him at that time probably being like, "Yo, I'm co-signed by Hieroglyphics, like the, one of the most incredible indie acts labels ever." And that that dude came. I never even heard of him. I forget mm. what his rap name was, but I was like, "That's why he loves all these dudes." You know, what I mean, because right. he just appreciates it now. But he can, he also has a talent. But I'm like, now he's won a fucking Oscar. Like, not okay. bad for like a failed rapper. Yeah, that's not no, that's not fucking bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. No.
1: Yeah.
2: That's when that's you can like, call a failed
1: up. rapper as like a as a as
2: a badge of honor. You know. Yes, like on yeah. your Twitter profile was like Oscar award winning actor failed at rapper.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. What did you, did you have? You seen that movie yet? Yeah, man, it was, it was incredible. It was yeah. so. I mean, I was kind of shocked, like, at one Best Picture after it was over. Because I was like, oh, I feel like, you know, this is like an overcorrection from, like, Oscar So White the year before to, like, Mm -hmm. they give that movie Best Picture. But then, like, the the next day, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, like, replaying certain moments in my head where I was just like, wow, that was really amazing. Like, I, I don't ever want to watch it again. Like, I just want to have that experience of seeing it and then never watching it. Like, I'm, I'm like that you know, with certain movies. Like, I don't want to watch, like, There Will Be Blood ever again. I saw it in a theater. I never want to see it again. Yeah. Like, I want yeah. to just have that experience.
1: I, uh, with yeah, the Moonlight in particular, man, I I don't know. I just, I just, I think I had the same reaction you did. I was like, that was the best picture. That was the, I mean, there's mm-hmm. some incredible shit in there, but I don't know. For sure. I just, I I thought it was good, you know? I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was pretty. And I think that, mm-hmm. I think that it, it would have worked better if going in, I knew it was kind of like a, well, it's sort of like a fairy tale, right? Like, it's sort of a fable, yeah. you know?
0: Like yeah, it's definitely yeah. and
1: and and I guess I went in there expecting something because you know it's got the the crime fiction trappings right so I was expecting something yes. like gritty and shit and it was really yeah. the, like the opposite of gritty which is cool was intimate it, yeah it was very yeah, intimate it's just,
2: it, it it's a, I I guess I was adjusting as I was watching it basically right yeah exactly you know, like I was like, awesome. like I don't want to know anything about this I don't know I don't know what's going on I don't want to uh-huh. know I just want to like jump in Mhm. hmm wait well, hey, uh I want to before we before we wrap
1: it up I want you to talk a little bit about your new record. I got the um I got the audio cassette. I heard that off the band because nice. nice, yeah, my man. buddy my buddy he um he does this like avant garde like noise music to be honest with nice. you to like listen to for fun. Uh but he's All my right. friend. So anyway, so he's on this he's on this label and I I had ordered a, the audio cassette of it. And when I got it in the mail, I don't know mm-hmm. dude. I was so like fucking excited to have an audio cassette.
2: <laughs> so,
1: I just, so like with this one, I was like, I'm gonna get the audio. So I can't. I have no way of listening
2: to it on audio. Oh, uh, you don't, know, man. I still have my. I still have one of my tape players from back in the day, and, and I, I, I hook up the headphone jack to the aux cable in my car. Yo, I it's awesome. That's cool. It's the best. <laughs> right I would on, recommend yeah. doing that. You can get you can walk in for like twenty bucks, like at like a like a local pharmacy or something. Yeah. oh Okay. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'll a Walmart it, yeah. or whatever. I don't know what you got out there.
1: So, yeah, I don't know. There's something about the physical because it's weird, man. The pendulum swings back and forth, right? So I think that mm-hmm. I think that all this like streaming and, and digital shit—I I, I really do think mm-hmm. it's going to. People are going to want physical things again in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um but anyway, I, that's kind of off the track. Yeah, I just wanted you to be able to mm-hmm. kind of talk about your
2: record and. and sure. So, so the record, it. the record, um, the album is by from myself and my my good friend his name is named Small Professor. He's he's a producer in Philly. And we've been friends for about 10 years, and we never... We did a ton of songs together. Um, that's on Bandcamp. It's called... um, It's like a collective works of all the songs we've done. It's called Sin Will Find You. We put that out, like, last year. Just on some... Let's just have it out for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to make a record. Um, the album's called Good Luck With That, and it comes out uh, May 19th. And the record is... Um, we decided to make it a group officially. It's called Career Crooks. So we made this record um i originally recorded it with a different producer maybe like six seven songs and then that dude like spaced out and i was just like i don't like sitting on music like i'm not that type of person because i always feel like if i died tomorrow what would be the point of having like five albums sitting on my hard drive like that's ridiculous so i like to get stuff out so um i came to him i said look man um he was he was coming off of like a trying issue with the record he he's finished but it, there's a lot of red tape so he was kind of stymied and i was stymied with this producer cat and i was like yo look i'm I'm tired of, this, of these songs which are awesome just sitting around and he's like yeah i'm tired of sitting around waiting for the red tape with this label to put out this record i've been working on so i was like yo you love remixing stuff i'll give you the album you remix all these joints and then if we want to do some new stuff we'll do some new stuff too he said okay so he just started banging it out and um and I was like, yo, this is working. So we added on a few more songs, and then it, it took a lot longer than I thought because it was just like we started really enjoying it, where at first it was like it'll just be a fun exercise for him, and it'll be cool for me to have these songs out and whatever. We'll keep it moving. Um, but it just started taking longer and longer because he started really getting into it, and then I started, like, giving notes and, like, yo, what if I did this? What if we? What if we did this type of song over here? And what if we had an intro like this, and then we need to – so we started thinking of it as an album. So mm-hmm. after a while, um, I was like, yo, um, this, this sounds great. Let's let's start shopping it around and putting out the people. And our friends who heard it thought it was dope. And I was like, all right, I want to make it like a group officially then. Because he and I just been putting out records for so long. I was like, I want it to be like Love of Jewels. Where like, if it was just called LP and Killer Mike, um, you would think it's just like a one-off. Like they're just... Linking up for a couple songs and then they go back on their merry way. Whereas I remember when they linked up, they were like, "No, we are a group. This is a real thing," mm-hmm. and that's why it's run. It's separate from LP and Kelly. It's run. It's its own entity. Right. So I was like, "Yo, we should do that." So, um, so we did, and and the label picked it up, and um, the album is like, there's definitely um, there's like straight up rhyming songs, there's concept songs, like a lot of stuff we've talked about, like you know, realigning your expectations or growing out of being like a super petty dude in his 20s who's entitled. There's a song on the album about that called Clock's Tickin'. Um, There's a song about relationships called Lipstick Itch. There's a song called The Cold 10,000, which I lifted from Elroy, James Elroy. Um, that's like a South Philly crime story. Um, so there's, and then there's like just fun songs, like the song called Steve Martin. We have a video for that coming out. And we so we just put out a song as we call Newlywed, um, where I just like that pay song, homage that, to Beastie Boys. Yeah, that song was fucking, sick. it's a good one. Nice man. Yeah, yeah I got oh, my man mean, Prem Rocks on there. What's up? Oh, I just said yeah. No, no, no worries. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Prem Rocks on there, and my man Mally, He's he's kind of down with rhyme sayers a little bit. He's tour her Brother Oddly and them. Um, he's on the record, and then um, my, my buddy Dewey. Dewey did the artwork for Anderson Paak's album, his last album that came out. So okay, Dewey man. did his album cover. He did my last album cover, No Vacation for Murder. Uh, he's also an MC and a graphic designer. So we just put that out. like that. I love that song. It's fun. Um, so, yeah, the re- the album overall is just like, like I said, there's a lot, lot of stories on there, but then also just like songs you can just play at the gym or just mash out to and have a good time. So it's like I don't – the album, we just called it a Good Luck with that, like just on some, yo. Know, the situations we were in, we were making it. We were like basically saying, "Like yo, good luck with all that. We're gonna do this over here, and do something mm. great." So, we did that record, and then we just banged out a quick EP, which came out for free the week before. Take what's coming. We just did that like in a month, real quick, and that just that was effortless. That was so much fun. And now I'm like, okay, now we're in the swing of things, like to do stuff officially now. So, if we want to do another record, he and I know now. Like I gave, like he basically mad the album, where I was mm. like, yo here's some vocals, here's some things, do whatever you want. So he was coming up with beat switches and interludes and movie samples and intros and cut, like transitions. Where I just sat back and was like, "All right, that's cool, that's cool." Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just we like just friends like working in like complete aut- autonomy to make this record, and um, it's it's fun, man. It's a cool song. I I, I debuted a couple of songs. I, I played a show with B. Dolan, who's Down with Strange oh, cool. famous. Um, yeah, I played with him like my third or fourth time playing with him i played with him like two weeks ago it's my first show like i've done like in a year and i debuted some of the songs off the record and i'm trying to set up a show with bus driver when he comes to philly a couple months um to do it again so we're trying to um get it out hopefully people check it and um yeah man i and I'll, i'll have more stuff coming out hopefully i said by the end of the year my solo album future former rapper um but this one's just, like, this is just, like, some great, like, just East Coast rap. Like, I, I don't want it to be anything else, you yeah. know? So, because yeah. uh, what we are, that... the album is, like, what's up? Oh, do you think that there's a, like,
1: I guess with with writing, I kind of, I've always liked that rappers put out, like, a shitload of stuff. You know, I think Kool-Aid <clears throat> put out, like, nine mixtapes last year.
2: Yeah. And then
1: you have, like, goofballs, like, you know, Philby who puts out, you know, like, 140 right. tracks or whatever. So, like, do you think yeah. that there's a there's an oversaturation risk or are you are you just like fuck it if I finish it it's go it's getting put out?
2: That's a good question, man. I have had to think about that a lot. Um I'm I'm an albums guy. Like I love yeah. I love like when you talk about cassettes like I I learned how to make albums and arrange albums when I used to make mixtapes for myself. Mm-hmm. So what, like I love doing that and I've written a ton of columns for my buddy Jeff Weiss at Passion of the Whites, where I take albums that were shitty rap albums and then rearrange them and then make them good like I did it with most Def and Nas and Jay-Z like some of their worst albums. Um so I love like that. I love like finding the story behind a bunch of songs that were recorded. Mm-hmm. Um but then I also like I put out a couple mixtapes. Um one I have out Neo Noir from 2013. I just did a flash sale today. I'm like yo 5 bucks I found the last 10 cassettes. The bomb. Mm. That's a mixtape where like I'm rapping over other people's beats. So I think though, like whatever it is, I don't think everything is good though. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. I couldn't. I, I I I think Kool-Aid is pretty good. Like he was on a song I remixed for my buddy Lush Life, and he, mm-hmm. he was pretty cool with me on Twitter about it. But I don't have time, like personally, to get into nine mixtapes from this guy. Um,
0: right.
2: But some people, that's that's how they've been programmed to check for stuff. Like they don't know any other. I'm from the era of like. You get something from somebody, and you don't get anything for two to three years, yeah, and then they come yeah. back out. And what okay. they, but what you get is like substantial, like it's flushed out. Or there's a point to it, and like you know. So, but I, I like having you know like fifty currency mixtapes on my on my iTunes, and I just feel like uh, it can't. Like you have to know honestly in your heart, like all not all of this is not good. Like all of it isn't a great idea to share. So for me. <laughs> Plays into to human
1: psychology, though, man. Because, like, they—I was reading this book on behavioral addiction called *Irresistible*. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit about like casinos and uh, social media and shit like that, and how it gets us addicted. Nice. Yeah, man. And it turns out that uh, humans become addicted to intermittent reward. Meaning, if something is too good all, right. all the time, you—it's it, mm-hmm. actually less addictive, right? It has to be something mm. that kind of that, that intermittently sucks and is awesome. Right. So, you know, in a weird way, like the putting out the nine mixtapes, if you're sifting through, you know, five songs of trash and then one gold one, in a weird way, that plays into human psychology. Now, does that make a good art? Probably not, you know, probably not, but whatever.
2: Yeah. and, And I just I just I'm from a different time when like that wasn't like you were only putting your best foot forward because you weren't coming out again for a while and then once the internet and the mixtapes and then flooding people with content, your name was on a blog every single day, you know, then you got on. Like I, I know how successful I get it. And and a lot of stuff I can, I'm a fan of. I just, I, I can't operate that. Like there are some songs I have out that were recorded in 2011 and I'm like, it just wasn't the right time or I didn't have the right project yet for it to be on. Um, but then other, other stuff like this, starting in January, I was just putting out one song a month like just to have a song out that I had been sitting on for no reason. I was like, right. these, these just need to be out. I don't know why I didn't put these out. They're dope. I liked them. But if they were trash, I would be like, nope, that's not right. for people. So all those years when I was like literally re- recording and, and rapping and making beats every day for seven years, the yeah. like bulk of that stuff is not coming out. <laughs> it's not. I'll go through and, and dig around and be like, maybe that was kind of cool. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> or, ah, uh, there's four bars on this song that are, I could use that. I could use those four bars from this song I did in 2007, but the song right. is trash. You know, right. like, so I'll parse through stuff like that, but I, I, I just can't, I don't know, man. I, I don't like to overwhelm people. Like, like I, I like to have, like, you know, like, instead of, like, throwing, like, 50 darts at 50 uh, dartboards, I want to throw, like, one at one. Like, I want to just hit that. I want to Mm -hmm. be precise. I don't want to just be like, yo, man, here's a thousand things. Like, you tell me what's good. Like, no, I'll tell you what's good. (laughs) (laughs) I like that idea. Like,
1: you you tell me what's good. I don't even know, man.
2: I just just in front of a mic, and I
1: I fucking – I rapped for two hours, and then I had somebody – Chop it up over, you know, 10 different songs. And I don't know, man. Some, I mean, some of it might be good. I was stoned as fuck for most of them. But, right. you know, <laughs> yeah.
2: No, like, I I need to, like, listen to it a lot in my car. I need to, like, listen to it at the gym in comparison to where it's arranged with other joints. I got to think about, like, I'll perform it and see people's reaction to it. Or when I'm performing it, I might do it a different way. And I'm like, oh, I like how I said that one word differently. I'm going to go back and re-record it now because I'm even more comfortable. with Like, I, I like to do that rather than, like... I made it Tuesday at seven o one p m. Seven o five p m. It's out. Right, like, right. Th- it's fun to do that and carefree, and I, I've done that, but like I don't. Overall, like that, that's like an exception for me to do stuff like that. Right on, right on. Kind of, well, kind sir, of uh, well, sir, I I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll uh I'll throw the name out there in the intro again, and but man, it's just, just been a pleasure to talk to you, man. I appreciate it.
2: It's always great, man. Thanks thanks for getting at me, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to uh. One day, you know, seeing that, that that infamous sunset skyline in Oklahoma, man, you know, just, oh, yeah, well, just well, make me feel well, new. Yeah, well <laughs> now I'm in uh,
1: now I'm in Portland, Oregon, man. So if you if you're oh, that's my favorite. Portland, I love yeah. Portland. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I've been um, actually. Out here, all my so. friends are going to be out there. My friends are going to be out there, man. Um, Who? It's going to be Prem Rock, Billy Woods, Henry Canyons, or Torn. I think they start in Portland like next month. You should go to oh, that right. show. Yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. Dude.
2: Yeah, 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 you should go to that show.
1: I'll be, I'll I'll like, next next, next next month I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a week-long excursion to, to Seoul,
2: South Korea. So
1: hopefully I'm not in South Ooh. Korea
2: when they're there. But uh, Damn. Yeah, yeah. now, Portland's great, man. I had, I had a great time in Portland. I, I only been there once, but I love the food and the people and the coffee and the sunsets and chilling and donuts and all that. It was great. Shit, come back. The food trucks. I love food trucks uh, for dating, it, man. Oof. Oh, I had a I had a, I had a vegan cheesesteak out there. It was crazy. I'm not even I'm not even vegan. It was so good. I was like, damn. Yeah. Damn, me yeah. and my wife went. It was we had a blast. We loved it out there. That's like the one. Oregon is like the one state where I was like, I would live. I would move there. I would yeah. definitely move out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's great. To me well, man. man, I like
1: I went to go visit a buddy, and he took me on a hike through Forest Park, which is uh, it's the park in Portland. It's like the largest in city park in the country or something. And damn. like walking on that trail and like seeing the waterfalls and the, and the trees and shit and I was like
2: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm moving here I'm, I'm yeah man wrap, oh, you know? if, if I was single I would I would have just stayed it was incredible yeah, yeah was, you, sure. you, have, you have good taste you have good taste living out there
1: alright thank you <laughs> thank you man alright man I'll, <laughs> and I'll if you bought you, guys, you bought
2: my music you you have impeccable taste
1: I'll just add
2: it anybody who buys my music <laughs> impeccable taste off the
1: top I don't even know you <laughs> right on right on dude alright cool man well hey thanks a lot you got it anytime right, man you.
2: I'll talk to you later